Well, hey, we, uh, welcome to week three of a series we're calling Boot Camp. Uh, we're learning how to live a Christ-like life together, so we're continuing in on that today. I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. We always read a passage of scripture. We'll put it on the screen. You can follow along. We're going to be looking at one of the Psalms, uh, one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 139. I'll read it aloud, and you can follow along. Here we go. You ready? Uh, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. Well, we're learning together how to live a life like Jesus, and my contention for your life is that if you were to live a Christ-like life, that would be your very best life. That'd be the best version of a life that you could live, and so we even have a, a 35-day heart boot camp challenge. If you didn't get one of the sheets, you can grab them at the, uh, the boot camp basics table right out in the lobby. And uh, we're going through that. There's exercises you can do each week. And here, here's the thing, okay? If you miss some, um, that doesn't matter. What I want you to do is get back up and just keep going at it. Following Jesus isn't a test. It's a journey. So you, you don't have to beat yourself up and go, well, I, I guess I messed up so I don't get to keep going. Just start where you are and keep going. Um, so what we're, what we're saying in this is that the life of Jesus can be in you, the same heart, the same attitude, the same responses, the same uh, reactions, the same actions could be in you, so that when you're squeezed by life, what comes out of you is Christ-like. When I was a kid, my mother at breakfast used to make me eat a grapefruit. She would cut it in half, and she would put it on the plate, And she would cut all the little sections out, and she would give me the salt, and so I would salt it, and I would eat the grapefruit. But when I ate the grapefruit, I would always, because I was a kid, and it's what you do when you're a kid, I would squeeze it and try and make it squirt into my sister's eye, because that's what you do. (laughs) Surprisingly, when I squeezed the grapefruit, do you know what came out of the grapefruit? Grapefruit juice, like not chocolate milk, which would be disgusting with grapefruit juice, right? When you're squeezed, life squeezes all of us, what comes out? Well, what could come out of you is a Christ-like response. Now, uh, if you're going to have that, then if you're going to get the life of Jesus, I have a friend who says it like this, if you're going to get the life of Jesus, then you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. So there are a bunch of people who uh, are runners here and a bunch of people who are running the the Chicago Marathon for World Vision. They're raising money for clean water and and you can still sign up and do that and you can do the 6K, all of that. 
Uh, but those runners, if, if you're one of those people who looks at runners and says, I don't understand why on a perfectly good day you would go run somewhere when you can drive there in your car, <laughs> you look at them and you see that they've adopted a certain lifestyle. They buy certain clothes, they uh, get up at certain times and uh, always go running. Uh, they have a lifestyle. And, and what will happen with some of those people who've never run before is you'll notice that they have more endurance, they feel better, their attitude's a little bit better. Uh, they look better, and you might begin to get jealous of them and say, man, I would love to have the endurance that they have, and I would love to have the health that they have. I'd love to have the life that they have. But many of us, we see someone with those kinds of qualities. We're not willing, though, to adopt the lifestyle that would result in that kind of life. Do you see where I'm going with that? If you want to have the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle, it's the lifestyle, how you order your day, that delivers the life. So let's say that you struggle with boundaries with people. The lifestyle that you would need to adopt is learning to say no when you mean no instead of saying yes when you really want to tell someone, no, I don't want to help you, uh, and not feeling bad about it. Because a person with boundaries can say, listen, I don't have the time, I don't have the energy, I, I love you, but I'm, I'm sorry I'm not available. Uh, if you were to adopt that lifestyle, then the life you would get out of that is you would no longer feel like crud when someone comes and asks you to do something and you, ha- you want to say no, but you say yes instead, and you inwardly you're like... <laughs> or let's just say you're a person who struggles with anger. What you have to do is adopt a different lifestyle. When you have slights and annoyances, you don't cultivate them and say, see, uh, that person does this, and I'm always going to get angry, and I'm always going to respond this way. If you adopt a lifestyle where you don't cultivate those kinds of things, then what happens is you get a life without anger. If you want to have more peace in your life, then you've got to adopt a lifestyle where you do the things that bring you peace. So that's why we're calling this a boot camp, because you train to do those sorts of things. You don't try to do those sorts of things because there's a massive difference between trying to do something and training to do something. So turn to your neighbor and say this. Say, I'm done trying, I quit. Just say that. It's okay. It's all right. We are all collectively giving up today. A bunch of quitters in the house, right? We're all giving up. Because here's, here's the reality, okay? When you want, let's just say, to be more patient, but you've not engaged in a lifestyle where you practice being more patient and you train yourself to respond in a patient way, and in the moment you try to be patient, what you find out is that you're not patient. And you try. But many people, they think in following Jesus, what they have to do is they have to try. I've got to try to be more loving. I've got to try to be more forgiving. I've got to try. And they, they don't understand that when you try, you usually fail because you haven't built up the ability to respond naturally in the way that Jesus would respond to things. Because when you try, here's what you're doing. Here's what you're saying. My willpower alone can make me a different person. I have bad news for you. It cannot. Maybe you don't know this about willpower, if you've ever studied this. Uh, Your willpower decreases uh, over the day, over the course of a day, so that by the end of the day, when you've made multiple decisions, it's kind of like an endurance muscle. Uh, When you've made a lot of decisions, you don't make 
sometimes good decisions at night or you get frustrated or you have a bad attitude or, or you eat the wrong thing because you've decreased the, the power of your willpower by the end of the day. And so that's why when you want to eat good and you start out in the morning and maybe you do eat grapefruit, and like, I'm so proud of myself. I had a great breakfast. And then you go to lunch and you go, I had a great lunch. And you have to make a bunch of decisions and you've got a stressful day and you've got this choice and that decision. And you get to dinner and you're ready to have something healthy, but you drive by Kentucky Fried Chicken and you're like, oh, bucket of chicken. Come on, nachos and chicken. I love you. You know, you, you've lost the ability to say no to something because you've lost, uh, you've, you've worn out your willpower. So here, if you're trying to follow Jesus, I just want to tell, I want to give you permission, okay? Quit trying. Quit trying. Not going to work. Willpower alone is not strong enough to make it work. What you can do in its place, though, is you can train, uh, which means that you practice. Have you ever seen a, a track athlete, like somebody who runs hurdles or a shot putter, and they do all these really weird exercises that don't seem to correlate to what they're doing. But what they're doing is they're training their muscles to respond in the right way so when the moment they are called upon to run over the hurdle, they can do it. Their body just knows this is how you do it, and this is what you do with your leg, and this is how you kick this other leg, and I don't know how to do it. I'd fall straight down on my face. But that, they're training themselves to live in a different way so they have a different response. They're, they're, training, they're, they're living in a lifestyle that brings them the life where they're able to jump over the hurdle. Uh, it's kind of like uh, this pillow right here. Um, so you can't make yourself sleep. Have you ever tried to go to sleep at night and you're like, I'm so tired. I just want to go to sleep. I'm going to lay down and, I'm gonna go, and you try to make yourself go to sleep. You try to go to sleep. Do you know what happens when you try to go to sleep? You just lay there and stare at the ceiling and you think about uh, okay, I got tomorrow, I got to do this. And uh, my, my middle son will get up um, almost every night, <laughs> put him down. I can't go to sleep. And, and, we'll, and I, I have kind of the same line I say most nights. Well, you know, what, you know what makes it possible if you go to sleep is you go into a dark room and then you lie down on a soft surface and you put your head on a pillow. And that practice of putting your head on that pillow allows the life of sleep to come to you so that you will no longer bug us at night. So you have to adopt, it's, it's, you have to train, you have to train, um, put yourself uh, under a training regimen to live the lifestyle of Jesus so that you can then become a person when life brings cursing, what comes out of you is blessing. And when life brings hurt, what comes out of you is forgiveness. And when life brings injustice, you have the courage to stand up and confront it. Why? If, if you adopt the lifestyle, the, the practices of Jesus, then you can begin to bring into your life the life of Jesus. And if you want to guarantee that you'll fail at that, just keep trying. I'm going to try a little bit harder. Um, the, the Navy SEALs, they'll tell you this, that when you train, that you, you, they say you, you always fall back to the level of your training. That's always what happens. So you have to train yourself. And if you want to guarantee that you make progress train instead. So you have to pattern your life after the practices of Jesus. And so we're spending some time in this series learning some of the practices of Jesus and how we can put those in our life. Last week we talked about studying the scriptures and letting that be a filter. And today we're talking about how to practice uh, the presence of God. Have an awareness that God's presence is with you every moment. We have some terrible, uh, terrible way that we pray sometimes in Christian circles. If you've been around this, people will pray things like this. Father, we just, uh, we just thank you and we just ask you to be here with us today. 
That's, that's, actually, that's actually terrible theology because God is with us. It's just our awareness is not that God's with us. And so we think God's some other place and we've got to invite him. He's, where, he's with us all the time. We have to learn to develop the awareness that God is with us all the time. And this is what, this is what the psalmist is teaching us. He's telling us that we can be in a, a God-soaked existence. And so what he does in this psalm, Psalm 139, is he starts by telling us how God is positioned toward us. Think about it like this. You walk into the room, and there's someone in that room that you admire and that you respect. And, and let's just say you walk into the room, and when they see you, that you walk in the room, and they, they catch your eye, and they turn away from you, right? And they go, oh, I don't want to talk to them. And your heart sinks, doesn't it? But let's just say that person that you respect and admire is in the room, and, and they're turned away from you, and they catch you out of the corner of their eye, and their whole body turns toward you, and their face lights up, and they go, it's you. What happens inside of you? I mean, you just, you just glow. What the psalmist is trying to tell us is how God is positioned toward us. Jesus is trying to tell us that God is positioned toward us. He's turned himself toward us. And so the psalmist starts out, and he says, Lord, you've searched me, and you know me, and you know when I sit, and you know when I rise, and you perceive my thoughts from afar. We want to know when we think about how God is positioned toward us that God knows me. That he knows everything about me. That God is understanding what's going on. He's not surprised by anything about me. We want to know that. Uh, when I was a youth pastor in Richmond, Virginia, um, we, had, uh, we worked with some other churches and did some things for students in the area. And we had this guy who was a doctor and um, loved Jesus with all of his heart. And he really he saw medicine as a way to serve people. And, and he was just a servant and he would help organize things in the city. And we were, had this meeting one time and when we were done, we prayed. And he prayed something that has stayed with me to this day. He prayed this prayer. He said, dear God, thank you that you're, not, you're never overwhelmed by how broken we are. And I went, oh. See, we're afraid that if God finds out that we've got a mess, he's going to go, oh, I'm just too overwhelmed by your junk. I just don't know if I can. I don't know if I can deal with you. Like God gets a headache when he thinks about us. But God, the psalmist says God knows, knows me, and he's not overwhelmed by that. And then he goes on, he says, you discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, verse 4, you, Lord, know it completely. In other words, God sees me. Now, when we think about these two things, God knows me and God sees me, many of us get a, a fear on the inside because we're afraid that God, if he knows me and he sees me, he knows everything about me. Oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. It's kind of like the bumper sticker that says, Jesus is coming, look busy. We're afraid that's a negative thing. What the psalmist is trying to paint is a, it's a completely different picture. That when God sees me, what that means is that God sees me like a parent sees their child. If you, you only know this if you're a parent. You know when your, your kids were born and you just stared at them? And you couldn't help but look at them. And then when they went to kindergarten, you watched them run in the door. And you got tears in your eyes. And then when they came out the first day, you looked at them. And then when they go play sports, you watch them and you see them. And when, they, when they're at a music thing for their school you watch just them you don't care about the other kids you're just looking for them that's the way God says the psalmist sees God sees us he sees us like a parent sees his child and and smiles smiles at us and then he goes on verse five you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me in other words God has me God knows me God sees me God has me 
so I'm going to be okay. I'm known and I'm seen by my maker. And, and if anything in this life is too much, guess what? God has me. And then at the end of my days, guess what? When my moment of my last breath, God has me then too. He hems me in behind and before. And so it's no wonder that then he says this uh, in verse 6. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. If that's true, oh, that's so wonderful. That God knows me and God sees me and God has me. And then what he does, the psalmist recounts how God is those things. And so he says, where can I go from your spirit? And where could I flee from your presence? He says, if I could go up to the heavens, you'd be there. If I could go down into the depths, you're there. In other words, what he's saying is, if I could go up to where you are, I'd find you there. Because I was looking for you there. But if I made my bed in the depths, the word depths there is the grave. If I made my bed in the depths, in other words, if I went to the darkest place where I think you're not there, I'm surprised that you were there. And then he says, uh, if I rise on the wings of the dawn or if I settle on the far side of the sea. In other words, if I go looking for you in the morning, early in the morning, and I have practices where I'm seeking you, I find you there. But by the same token, if I were to run away and try to get as far away from you as I possibly could, guess what I'd find out? You're there too. And then he says, uh, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become uh, like night around me. He says, for darkness is as light to you. In other words, if I try to run and I hide from you and I think, you know what, I'm going to go into a life that's as far from God as I possibly could get. What the psalmist says is you'd find out that darkness is as light to you and that he's there too. Where, where can I go from your presence? I, in other words, the point is, I can't go anywhere that you aren't already there. You could live in a God-soaked existence. This is what the psalmist is describing for us. This is the attractive thing about Jesus. The people who ran away from God, the people who were in the dark, they all liked Jesus. They all ran toward Jesus because they, they were aware that God was present with them in Jesus. Now, here's the, here's the million-dollar question. How would a normal human being like you and I access a life where we're always aware of God's presence at every moment of the day? Because see, some people, they think that you come to a room like this on a day like this, and this is where you get your God, right? It's like I go into the, I go into the gas station, and I need the gas, so I fill up, and then I go out. And I forget about God the rest of the time, but I come here, and I feel pretty good. What if you could have the experience that you have in here, the, the feelings you have in here, and you could have that every day in everything that you went through? I want to give you an example uh, from someone who followed Jesus in a, in a really unique way. And his name was uh, Nicholas Herman, and he lived in the, in the 15, 1600s. And he, was, uh, he worked for a family, a wealthy family, and he, he was uh, one of the people who took care of their grounds and would take care of, they had carriages, and he would help the carriage and get the horses hooked up and all those kinds of things. And he was, uh, by his own admission, he was kind of an oaf. You know, he would drop things, and he would break things, and he would do things wrong, and he would say things wrong, and he was kind of big and gangly, and, and his limbs didn't work right, and he would always have to apologize for himself and, and make excuses for what happened for him. And he just realized, this is not the life for me. Uh, one day, he was, uh, in the winter, he was going, and he, he looked at a tree uh, in the winter, and, and he realized something because he'd lived long enough to know that winter comes, but then spring comes after, and the leaves were going to come, and then the buds were going to come, and then the flowers, and then it was going to be this beautiful thing. And, and he had this, this aha moment. He said, there is a God who cares for his creation, and if he cares for that tree so much that he'll let it go through cycles, then surely he cares for me. 
And he thought, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to go, I'm going to leave my job because I feel like a failure here. And I feel like I just don't know how to access God's presence and know who God is. So I think what I'll do is I'll go to the most religious place I know. And in his day, that was the monastery with the monks. And so he went there and he said that he thought he was going to go there and he would have to give up all of his pleasures in order to find God. But he says this, this is so beautiful. He said, this is his exact, exact quote. He says, but God disappointed me and met me with nothing but satisfaction. I love that. So many people think that if you give your life to Christ, that your life's going to be boring. And what you find instead is that you have great satisfaction, that God, God disappoints you. You think it's going to suck. And God's like, no, great satisfaction. So he goes into the monastery and he begins to try and figure out how to have a relationship with God. Um, and and he, he said he, he ran across something that happens uh, to people all the time. In fact, I'll have somebody say some version of this probably every couple weeks. Someone will pull me aside and they'll say, uh, hey, uh, could, I, uh, could I talk to you for a second? Sure. Um, so um, I'm trying to have this relationship with God and um, I did some stuff. And sometimes they'll chronicle what they did and sometimes they won't. And um, I'm not really sure. Does, does God forgive that kind of stuff? Uh, what Brother Lawrence said was, he changed his name from Nicholas to Brother Lawrence when he went into the monastery. He said, I, I, I expected uh, to be condemned by God. I, but what I found was life instead. In other words, he found what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Romans. He said, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So this is how it works for you and I. You may say, well, I was an addict, and I'm not proud of that, and I still struggle with addiction. And so what I would say to you, what the Apostle Paul would say to you, is listen, where addiction increased, grace increased all the more. Or you might say, well, I'm a failure. I've made so many mistakes in my life. I've screwed things up over and over again. Well, where failure increased, grace increased all the more. Or I got divorced, and I did some things in that, uh, in that, that experience that I regret, and that I'm still having to live with the consequences of it. And what, what the Apostle Paul would say to you, what Brother Lawrence learned, what Jesus would tell you is, where divorce increased, grace increased all the more. Or you would say, well, I did something, and it was a crime, like I committed a genuine crime, and I had to go do time for what I did. Listen, where jail time increased, guess what? Grace increased all the more. All the more. So Brother Lawrence said he was surprised. God disappointed him with satisfaction through God's grace. He found out that there was a God who knows him and sees him and has him. And where he expected condemnation, he found life instead. And so what he did is his job when he, when he got in the monasteries is they put him into the kitchen and he didn't do anything really spiritual. And for, um, for a couple decades, he just washed dishes. That was his job. And he found out that while he washed the dishes that that wasn't a barrier to having a deep relationship with God. And so he began to do everything, he, he said, for the love of God. And so he scrubbed the pots and pans so much so that he found out that uh, what he, when he would approach God in prayer and he would try to um, connect with God, that was no different than when he would be washing the dishes. And he had the same sense of God's presence in both of those environments. He said, I walked in, I hated doing the dishes. And he said, By, but, but several years in, I realized that I was in God's presence all the time and it completely changed for me. Uh, so here's some things that he said. 
That's how he said he got to it, got to this awareness that God's presence was with him all the time. He said, we we ought once for all heartily put all our whole trust in God and make total surrender of ourselves to him. Secure he would not deceive us because he found out that God surprised him with satisfaction. And then he said, I I learned to do everything only for the love of God. So you could get up in the morning and you could um, get your kids ready for school for the love of God. You could go to work. Let's just say you hate your job. What if you went to your job and you started saying, okay, God, I'm going to learn to do my job every day. I hate it, but I'm going to go every day for the love of God. And the reason I'm here today is I'm going to go for the love of God. And then when you come home and you've got to do the dishes, you do the dishes for the love of God. And then when you sit down and you've got to help your kids with, your homework, with their homework, you do that for the love of God. And then when you get to bedtime and your kids get to a certain age, all parents know, uh, bedtime is some kind of version of a nightmare. And, and you, you do that for the love of God. I put my kids to bed last night and it was one of those kinds of scenarios. And, and I, did it for, I said, okay, I'm doing this for the love of God. You learn to do everything for the love of God. You do a spreadsheet for the love of God. You make a deal for the love of God. You do your shift for the love of God. You interact with your, uh, your coworkers for the love of God. You learn to do everything for the love of God. Then he said this, this is what he learned. The time of business does not differ to me from the time of prayer and in the noise and clatter of the kitchen while several people were calling for different things. Listen, listen. I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were on my knees at the blessed sacrament. In other words, he's in worship where he feels God's presence. It didn't become, this is the spiritual time and this is the not spiritual time. It's like all of God's presence all the time. So how might you go about doing that? I'm going to give you um, three things that you could do to begin to practice the presence of God, to begin to live a God-soaked existence. Um, three things, okay? Number one, you've got to give yourself to God right now, completely. You came in and you I wasn't planning on giving myself to God. Okay, I don't care. Right now. <laughs> give yourself to God completely with no reservations. God, everything I have is yours. All I have is yours. All my money All my time, all my schedule, all my family, everything I have, right now it's yours. I freely and heartily give it up so that I can have more of your presence. The second thing is this. No matter how long it takes, turn every action into an act of of love for God. So you just say, I'm going to, everything I do, God help me to learn to turn my attention to you throughout the day and do everything that I do in my day for the love of God. It'll change everything. Then this is the third thing. Then at the end of your day, close your eyes on your pillow and rest under God's smile. See, you no longer are striving to earn God's acceptance. You're going through your day aware of God's presence. That God's with you. And so at the end of your day, you can close your eyes on your pillow and be aware of God's smile. See, this is what Jesus This is what Jesus does. He changes the reputation and and the thinking in our hearts about God and lets us know that God has positioned himself toward us and that he knows us and that he sees us and that he has us. And so like Jonathan Edwards said, oh, how good it is to work for God in the daytime and at night to lie down under his smiles. That could be your existence. What, What if that were your existence? Just consider for a second if that's how you went through your life and you felt and experienced God's presence at every moment and every turn of your day, and, and you had an awareness that what you were doing, you were doing for the love of God, how might that change your day? How might that change your parenting? How might that change your work? How might that change how you deal with your neighbors? And that changed everything. Here's what I'm going to invite you to do. 
Tim's going to come and he's going to sing that song again um, that we sang before the message. And I want to invite you to do those three things. While he sings, I want you to take an inventory of your life. And I want you to, right now, give your life completely to God. Again, and that, this may be something you do on a regular basis, but just again. Maybe for the first time. And then, then you're going to have to take an inventory of your life, and you're going to have to say, okay, God, here's the things that I like to do. Now, I want to change those things, and I want to begin to do them for the love of God. Start with the easy things, and then go to the hard things, and go, and God, here are the hard things in my day that I don't like doing, and I'd like to learn to do those for the love of God, too. And I'm going to let you teach me how to do that. And then, and then we're going to close our eyes. We're not going to go to sleep. <laughs> but we're going to be aware that God now, because of Jesus, smiles at us, knows us, sees us, has us. So while Tim sings, would you take that inventory of your life? You can close your eyes, have your own private moment, and then I'll pray for us. Sometimes I'm lost inside And I try to hide But I just can't find my peace of mind You've been pushed aside By my foolish pride Time I let you come inside Come inside Come on, search me Just don't know what it is Makes me do things my Search me, search me, come on, search me, let me know what it is to let go. Thank you, God, that you met a guy named Nicholas in the kitchen, in the middle of the pots and the pans and the noise. And you met him there. And so if you can do that, well, then you can meet us where we are. And we, uh, we want to be aware of your presence. We don't want our lives to be run by hurry and worry and frustration and anxiety and fear. We don't want to be run by those things. We want to be uh, aware of your presence, the God who made us, who knows us and sees us and has us. 
We want to be aware. And then as a response, God, we want to do what we do for the love of you. We want to change the reason we do what we do. Let it be infused with your presence. And realize that it's an act of love for you when we do the normal, mundane things of our life and the big, moment-shaping things of our life, all the same. So thank you that you're not overwhelmed by how broken we are. (laughs) You're never in that position toward us. That where, uh, where sin increased in our life, where it had a hold on us, your grace was even more than that. It was bigger than that. It was increased all the more. So we, when we, we know that when we come to you, you're waiting with a smile. And so God, this week as we practice uh, the presence of you in our life, uh, do what you do and uh, meet us there. We're asking that from our perspective. I know you want that. We want to practice your presence this week. So help us. We pray this in your name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. We always leave you with a blessing. And uh, as you go, you can receive this blessing. And our prayer team will be down front. If you need prayer for any issue in your life, they would love to pray with you. And um, you'd be welcome to do that after the service. Uh, May you know the love of God, God that sees you and knows you and has you. You know, you're sent now to love God in return, to love the people in your life and to serve the people in your life in Jesus' name. Hug someone, tell them you love them. See ya.